We are the work of his hands. Like a potter fashioning us with his own hands. We are his workmanship. Here's our text. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So now as we pick up here from verse 9, we remember from last week, Paul finishes this this section last week, by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, but it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So we spent a little bit of time last week looking at this word, this. We wanted to understand what Paul meant by this. What is the gift of God? The pronoun this is what he says, that this isn't your your own, this is the gift. And we saw there that Paul's not referring to faith itself. The, The grammar doesn't allow that. Instead, Paul is specifically referring not just to the faith, but to the complete package. He's referring to the faith. He's referring to the grace. He's referring to the being made alive in God. He's referring to all that he's talked about from chapter 1, verse 4, all the way through our present place here. So this entire package is what Paul says, this is the free gift of God. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. This is. This is not your own doing. This is the gift of God. And that gift of God continues now into verse 9. This is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So you see the connection there between the gift and the continuing thought. This is not a gift. This is not by, or this is a gift. This is not by works, so that no one may boast. So Paul seems preoccupied here with the requirement that no one boast. Paul seems to just be fixated in these final verses about the elimination of all possibility of human boasting, either in salvation or the consequences of salvation, the effects of salvation. And we'll see that as we work through the passage this morning, that Paul is particularly concerned with eliminating all chance, all possibility of human boasting. So he says, this is the gift of God, And being a gift, it's not a result of works. And being a gift that's not a result of works, it is impossible to boast in it. So this is a theme that Paul carries, that what has come to you has come to you from God. And coming to you from God is not something that you can reasonably boast in. For example, he says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, you are in Christ. Or 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7, For who sees anything different in you? What you have, what do you have, I'm sorry, that you did not receive? If you received it, why do you boast in it as though you did not receive it? So if you receive this thing from God, how can it be that you boast in this? We could also look at 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 31. That's a little bit of a lengthier passage, but in that passage, Paul really works the idea that there is no room for human boasting. Also, Galatians 6 and verse verse 14, far be it from me to boast anything except the the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul wants to emphasize here, and this is not the only place, we'll see this as we work through the rest of 9 and through 10, that Paul is particularly concerned that the, the Ephesians know for certain that there is no room for boasting here. God's work, 
God's, or I'm sorry, the good works that result from your salvation are the work of God. Paul says this, this is not a result of your effort. This is the work of God in you. So you can't boast because this is God's work in you. Now, this is a common theme as well. The theme that the works, our good works, our righteous acts, our righteous deeds are not our own. Instead, they are God's work in us. Take a look at some of the other things that Paul will say, for example, to the Philippians in Philippians 2. Verses 12 and 13, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will, and there it is again, to work for his good pleasure. So Paul says, it is God's work in you to create not only this desire, this will, but also to do the work itself. Nevertheless, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that it is God who is working this in you. Hebrews 13, once again, now may the God of peace equip you with everything good, that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. So he works in us that which is pleasing to in his sight, which is not only faith, but the resulting works of faith that result from that. Ezekiel 36 and 27, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Or John chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Now that phrase carried out in God speaks to us powerfully of someone who carries out these good works, not just in the will of God or in the oversight of God, but in the very power, in the very working of God. These things are carried out in God. Or as Paul says to the Thessalonians in 2 Thessalonians 1, To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. So fulfill, this is the prayer, that that God will fulfill every resolve. Resolve just speaks of, of a determination, a will, a strong desire that God will fulfill every resolve in you, the resolve for good and every good work of faith By his power. So there we go again, that Paul is praying this prayer that God would work out in the Thessalonian believers not only the resolve of their heart, the desire to do his will, but actually the doing itself of his will. Or John chapter 15, verses 4 and 5. This is perhaps the apex. This is perhaps the only place we really had to go to see this truth played out, as Jesus says in John 15 Abide in me. And I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, so also neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So we see these instances and others that we could point to as well. This this is all just to establish firmly the case, the solid biblical foundation that good works are the work of God. They are nothing that we as as believers in Jesus Christ could boast in ourselves or take even credit for ourselves, but instead the scriptures teach us very plainly that these are the things that are the work of God. So Paul says that these good works, you have been created in Christ for these good works. So now Paul brings in also this creation motif, this parallel to the creation. So Paul views here our being made alive together with God in Christ, he views this as being parallel to God's creation of the created world. You have been created 
in Christ Jesus for these good works. So the parallel here would, of course, be the creation of all things, the creation of our world, the creation of the universe. And in Paul's mind, this makes a fitting parallel because just as the scriptures teach us that God created all things from nothing, meaning that God didn't take some existing things and rearrange them and sort of reorganize them into the world that we now know, or neither did God take an alternate universe that was already in existence and sort of take some things from that universe and make our universe out of it. God did neither of those things. Everything that exists, God made from nothing. We see this in places like John chapter 1 and verse 3. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So in the same way that all of the universe was created from nothing, so also Paul sees a parallel in us, in that we, as the believer in Jesus Christ, the one made alive to God, we have been created in Christ Jesus also from nothing. God did not remake us. God did not refashion us. He did not take existing parts of us and refashion us, spiritually speaking. Now, the hard part is that that's exactly what it feels like, right? Doesn't it feel like that if you are in Christ, doesn't it feel like that God is remaking you and working in you, which he is. The scriptures teach us that he is. But by faith, we understand that this, what feels to us like God slowly making us into new people, that the Bible sees that as a new creation made from nothing. And so by faith, we connect to that and we understand God sees us not as people that are gradually moving from being dead to God to alive to God, even though in reality, often that that is what describes us. Nevertheless, God sees us as a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation. And so God sees us and God understands us. God receives us. He accepts us. He loves us based on the fact that we are New creations, made, spiritually made, not from pre-existing parts, but spiritually made from nothing, in Christ. And in Christ, in this union with Christ, is how this recreation takes place. It's where this recreation takes place. So here's the theme there, that we are created in Christ. We are His workmanship, Paul says. We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. So just a moment or two on this word, workmanship. First of all, the biblical writers have a way that they can emphasize words. You know how sometimes when you're writing, you're maybe texting somebody and you'll do all capitals or something like that. There's a, there's a word. You want the person when they read that, you want them to read that with an emphasis on a particular word. And there's ways that we can do that. We can italicize something or put it in bold font or underline it. In our New Testaments, the way that that worked was the writer would take the word that they wanted emphasized and they would take it out of order. The biblical Greek language has a specific order that the parts of speech are, uh, the reader is accustomed to seeing certain parts of speech come in certain orders. And so when a writer wanted to emphasize a word, he would take the word and take it out of its expected order. Usually he would place it at the front of the sentence. It's called fronting. And so what Paul does here is he fronts the word his. So you could circle that in your Bible. You could underline it. That's how Paul wants you to read it. Literally, he says, his workmanship are you. His workmanship. See the emphasis there on on the divine being, the emphasis there on God. You are not just workmanship. You're his workmanship. Again, 
Paul is driving home the point here. There is no room for human boasting in what God has done to save you or what God has done since he has saved you. His workmanship you are. So now let's think about just briefly this word workmanship. This is an unusual word in our New Testaments. Shows up in this form only here. Shows up in a similar form two other times, both at the pen of Paul. So it's worth taking a look at where else Paul uses this in similar forms. It's a noun here. You are his workmanship. The King James, I think, has handiwork. So the uh, other place that it shows up in noun form is Paul's letters, Paul letter, Paul's letter, I'm sorry, to the Romans in Romans chapter 1, verse 20. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, and here it is, in the things that have been made. There's one other place it shows up in Romans chapter 9. Here it shows up as a verb. Take a look at Romans 9 verse 22. What if God, desiring to show his wrath and make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has, and here it is, prepared before him. Okay. So the reason I point those two out is to just notice the clear context of both, the clear flow of thought in all three of the uses of that word, and the flow of thought is the sovereignty of God. The absolute sovereignty of God in Romans chapter 1, the sovereignty of God over the things that have been made. Romans chapter 9, the sovereignty of God in preparing beforehand vessels for glory and vessels for, vessels for dishonor. And likewise, in our passage before us in Ephesians chapter 2, we are His workmanship. Again, Paul's primary thought here is to drive home into our souls the, the, the reality that who we are in Christ is completely His work. He deserves all of the glory, all of the honor, all of the credit. There is absolutely no place for human boasting here. So this word workmanship is the word poema. We get our English word poem from it. So I've read some commentators that will say we're like God's poem. There's some truth to that. But Paul means a whole lot more than poem. We are a whole lot more than God's poem. We are the work of His hands. We are His workmanship. We're going to look in a few minutes at some other texts that are going to dovetail with this. And they're going to speak to us of an image of our maker like a craftsman like a weaver weaving us together or like a potter fashioning us with his own hands. We are his workmanship. Now, keep in mind at this point, we are speaking spiritually. So spiritually speaking, we are the work of his hands. We are his poem, so to speak. We are not just workmanship, we're his workmanship. Emphasis, his workmanship. So you get the kind of the flow of where Paul is going with this. So it's at this point, it's helpful, I think, to notice a a parallel, some corresponding thoughts. If you have your Bible open, you'll see these parallels real clearly. The parallel here, Paul Paul emphasizes it here with this twice repeated phrase, by grace you have been saved. By grace you have been saved. By grace you have been saved through faith. So these two phrases, I think, sort of bookend the ideas that Paul is communicating to us. By grace you have been saved in verse 5. In that context, Paul is speaking of the grace of our salvation, the grace of our being made alive to God in Christ. 
the grace in which God acted upon dead sinners. So your salvation is the fruit of grace. Then when he says the same phrase again in verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, after that flows this thought of what you now do after your salvation. So that's the focus here. That's the context here. So it's like these dual principles of grace, these dual realities of grace. Grace is responsible for your salvation. And grace is responsible for everything since your salvation. You are saved by grace. And everything that has come after your salvation is a new creation by grace. And then there's these corresponding thoughts. You probably noticed these corresponding thoughts between the beginning of chapter 2 now and the end of chapter 2. So at the beginning of chapter 2, we were described prior to Christ acting upon us. We were described as dead in our sins. So there's this correspondence between dead and now alive. There's a correspondence between being raised and seated with Christ that corresponds to walking in lockstep with the ruler of this age. There's this, uh, uh, by nature, we were children of disobedience, so now we've been raised and now we've been made into new workmanship, or created in Christ. We are His workmanship now. And then there's the correlation between walking in sins and trespasses to now walking in the good works that have been prepared before Him. Okay, so you see all those sort of correlations that Paul is making. It's like this night and day picture that he wants to draw for us. Here's the night. The night is you are dead in your sins and trespasses. You are walking lockstep with the culture. You are walking lockstep with the ruler of this age. You were by nature children of wrath. You were so, so much married to disobedience that you could literally be called sons of disobedience. But now, God because of His richness and mercy, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, now we find these new corresponding daytime reality. That was nighttime. Now here's the day. Here's the light. The light is you've been made alive in Christ. The light is that you are now a new creation in Christ with a new nature. The reality is that now you are not walking lockstep with this world. You are walking lockstep with God in the good works which He has prepared before Him. So those correlations are fairly easy there to see. Just wanted to point those out. So these good works, Paul is going to refer to this new creation a number of times. This this new creation in Christ, he's going to refer to this as as a means of calling us to certain moral behaviors. In your notes there, you've got Ephesians chapter 4 a little bit later in the book. You've got Colossians where Paul refers to our new creation in Christ. And he says, "You're, you're new. Put on the new self put off the old self, put on the new, and live out the new righteousness that is yours. We can now see, can't we, why it is that the New Testament can be so confident in making this absolute connection between the fruit of our life as evidence of true salvation. Because if the good works that are the consequence of salvation are the creation of God, then they necessarily followed the recreation of the believer. So you see how the two of those can can correlate together perfectly. James can say in James 2 and verse 14 that a faith that does not produce this type of work is not a saving faith because guess what? The created good works, the works that God created to walk in for the new creation in Christ aren't there. So the new creation can't be there. 
Thank you for listening to today's episode of Truth That Transforms with pastor and Bible teacher Jason Wilkerson. Truth That Transforms is the daily teaching broadcast of Disciples Fellowship Church. We invite you to visit our website where you will find more resources to help in your journey of discipleship. You can find us at www.disciplesfellowshipnc.com or connect with our Facebook page at Facebook slash Disciples Fellowship NC. Truth That Transforms exists to glorify Jesus Christ through the teaching of His sanctifying and disciple-making Word.